Welcome to the People, Passion, and Purpose podcast, where you will hear from creative small business owners in the trenches every single day, talking story, talking lessons, talking failures, talking truth. I'm your host, Nina L. Kovner. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. This week, we have a guest that I've been trying to get on this podcast for, it seems like a year. And I know, I know, I know it's going to be worth the wait. This week, we have a dear friend of mine that I've known for decades, um, who I currently have the honor of working with every day in the beautiful beauty business. Her name is Karan. She is a Navy veteran, a small business owner, hairdresser, makeup artist, photographer, lasher, and mental health advocate. Oh, my God. Karan, welcome. Hello, darling. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'm so glad to finally be here talking to you again. Right? I mean, seriously. And, And it's interesting because I seem to be saying that like a lot more often trying to connect people's schedules. And, you know, I got so off schedule with the podcast. And so I'm so grateful that you hung in there again. Thank you. Thank you for coming well, you on. You know, I think of you as Wonder Woman, but I know that there's only one of you and there's <laughs> only one of me. I don't think the world could take more than one, even <laughs> though I've cloned myself a few times and and you're welcome. But um, yes, I mean, we stay connected. It doesn't matter because we are so connected. Yeah. Um Especially, you know, this platform that you've created, this um, community that has grown so beautifully um, is such a value. I mean, we've been in this game, me, for 30 years now. And the kind of support and love that's shown through Passion Squared and the different Mm -hmm. programs and talks and communities, it's just it's remarkable. And I'm so grateful for it. And we're so grateful for you. So there's so many things I want to talk about. So let's just dive right in. So for a little context for our listeners, why did you enter the beauty business? And and how long have you been doing this thing? Like, tell us a little about your beauty story. All right. So once upon a time, there was a girl who wanted to work and make her own money. So I, um, I was a, a... I don't know what you call it. I was kind of labeled a genius when I was in elementary school. I love and it. I had, um, I had skipped grades and, and I'd been tested out in several grades and things like that. And, and, and I really wanted to have a life of my own. I wanted to have um, the ability to get things without asking my parents for it. So I graduated high school at 16. But before that, um, I used to get all of these awards for extracurricular activity because I just got bored so easily and I could do so many things and I, you know, it would be like, make up your mind. I'm like, I am making up my mind to do this right now and tomorrow I'm going to do that. So, <laughs> so I, I said that I was in a play. I told my parents I was in a play because we were, we were uh, my sister and I were actors when we were young. We were been on stage and, and radio since I was probably three. Um, and I always believe that all hairdressers are really out of work actors. <laughs> <laughs> so I lied and said I was in a play after school, but I actually got a job when I was 12. And that first job was at a beauty supplier. Oh. And I um, told a uh, alternative truth um, on my um, <laughs> 
I gave an alternative truth for my work permit. And by time I got caught because my dad um, had was a politician. He had all these friends all over the city and I looked just like him. So I can't escape it. Um, somebody recognized me at work and they called my dad and told my dad, what is, you know, saw your daughter. She was working. She was at the mall. <laughs> and he was like, wait a minute. What? She's supposed to be at school at the, <laughs> doing a play. So I got caught. But by that time, I had made myself invaluable to the company and I was of age. And my manager and district manager actually came to my home to talk to my mom and asked my mom if they if she would if she would allow me to continue to work, they would make sure I got home, make sure my hours and time was limited. But I'd made myself invaluable um, because of how deeply I dove into product knowledge and the chemistry of the product. So they said yes. And I kept that job until after I graduated high school. Um, and then I decided to go to beauty school, which made everybody furious. Yes. Um, they were furious because I had, you know, I had I have a big brain. So I had a lot of scholarships on the table. I had a lot of other things, but I also had a baby when I graduated high school. I'm so not ashamed of that fact. My daughter will be 30 next month and she's moderately well-adjusted. Um, she's a <laughs> lot like me. <laughs> she's a lot like me. I have two other daughters as well that are beautiful and they are the definite spice of my life. But it is a fact that I was a teenage mother. When I graduated high school, my daughter was there. She became like my class mascot because I used to take her to school with me sometimes. I didn't have a choice. And um, I was very um, blessed to have two schools that were imperative of that. Um, I went to a prestigious school called Baltimore City College. It's the third oldest public high school in the country. Um, and we had very high academic standards. And But during the time when I got pregnant, I also went to a school called the Paquin School for Expectant Teenage Mothers. And in that school, I was under the guidance of the brilliant and beautiful uh, Dr. Rosetta Stith, um, she just passed away a little while ago and uh, she created a community where there was in school child care and there was health care for us. And we had to take child and parenting classes that were incorporated into the curriculum. Wow. We had to take finance courses so that we could learn how to become self-sufficient. And some really strong women came from that community. Um, we were all very young, but she took each of us into her bosom. She knew all of us by name. Um, I later went to back to serve as a guidance counselor at that school when I got out of the Navy. Um, but I was just surrounded by people who were really supportive and energetic. Um, my hairdressing career started in 1990. I went to the Baltimore Studio of Hair Design under Mr. Herman Jackson and Mr. Daryl Queen. And uh, I was determined that I was going to break some records while I was there. <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, right. come on. What's an underachieve if you're not going to underachieve, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> my um, my passion back then was competition. It wasn't hairdressing. I, I didn't know I had a skill. What I had was a boyfriend who had a sister-in-law who was doing something fun. And I wanted to do it, too. And I did it and got there and discovered I had a skill that I never knew I had. Um from there, I won a whole a whole slew of awards. I went into haircutting competitions and uh, I wore a slew, won a slew of awards before I even graduated um, from hair school. Under, wow. Daryl um, Queen. And it was really I broke every academic and skill setting 
record in that school tenfold. So whatever somebody achieved, I achieved it over and over again, 10 times. Um, and I was really passionate about being a precision haircutter, understanding technique, understanding parametrics and the Sassoon method and all these other things. And to be honest, this was a black hair school. There wasn't a lot of access to that stuff mm-hmm. because major manufacturers did not ignore us all although we were the hugest spending demographic in beauty still are. Yep. (laughs) Which we have, which we have talked about. I talked about that with Kia actually in a previous podcast. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and Danielle and I mean, we have talked about this and I'm glad you brought that up because it, yes, 30 years later, we're still here. Still, still an issue. We are still here. Yeah. So when I, I, after I fixated myself on haircutting, I fixated myself on Paul Mitchell. And I lied to you now. It took me six years to get an audition back then. It took a long time to even get an audience with Margaret so that I could ask if I could possibly shadow for a day. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I think at the time we met quarterly. Um, and during my service with uh, Paul Mitchell, getting started with Paul Mitchell, um, I got called back to active duty. So I used to go to update meetings sometimes in fatigues. I love that. And I actually, I do want to talk about, I, 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 I'm so fascinated by <laughs> your story. And so first and foremost, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you. Thank you for acknowledging my service. It's always humbling when people say that because you really don't know how to respond. Mm-hmm. Um, I've served in, in both the Navy and the Army and it's, it's a really interesting dynamic, especially being a woman, because even to this day, when I go for any VA services or show up for veterans events, they ask me who my husband is. Wow. I said I gave him back to his mother, <laughs> but he's not the veteran I am. Oh, my gosh. OK, so you OK, so you are both a Navy and Army veteran. Yes. I, I apologize for leaving off the Army part of that. Um, how did that experience help you as an entrepreneur? And what lessons can you share with us about that experience? My gosh, you know, that line in The Godfather where Michael Corleone says, Every time I get out, they pull me back in. (laughs) That's my relationship with hairdressing. So I started off in the Navy, um, actually as military police, I was master arms. And um, because I am also a big geek, um, I ended up doing some programming work and doing what's called disseminating message traffic worldwide. And um, then I got a call one day asking you know, whether or not my license was still valid. I'm like, yeah, I'll drive all over Virginia. I drive. Is it no, your cosmetology license. And I ended up becoming an instructor for shipboard sailors, uh, for the barbers, for the shipboard barbers. And oh, I my actually, God, that's so cool. I actually was um, instrumental in rewriting the curriculum to uh, accommodate women at sea, because for those of you who don't know, women were not always allowed on ships. Um, we could go on ships, but non-combat ships um, in 1990, I want to say 94 or 95 um, law was passed allowing women to serve on board ships, but on sp- the majority of the ships that are in the fleets. Um, but the biggest issue was there were no facilities or bathrooms separate for women. And they did not procure those special things that women need. (laughs) 
So um, that took the longest was building the bathrooms, finding the money to build the bathrooms, finding the money to procure the supplies to keep us hygienic, healthy and whole. Um, but we also needed to be able to serve women at sea. And I'm very proud of the fact that I helped rewrite that curriculum that still stands today. Wow, that's so cool. That's so cool. What 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 entrepreneurial things did you learn? Oh, gosh. Um, so many things. The, the reasons I thought I would be awful in the military were the reasons that made me great at it. The structure, the um, mm. the I thrived in the structure structure. I thrived with the discipline. And I want to make something really, really clear. The military does not give you discipline. It doesn't give you anything you don't already have. It gives you an opportunity to exercise that discipline. And for me, I thrived when there were clear boundaries. Because then I knew where to break them. Right. Right. Because that's just who I am. Well, yeah. And, you know, I love that you that, that you mentioned structure because, you know, uh, being in the beauty industry and, and seeing the evolution over the decades of um, employment based salons to lease based salons and, um, you know, salon suites and, and, and that that passion for being a salon owner and, and, and that entrepreneurial spirit. And it's interesting because. What I've always found is that for some, it works really well, and for others, it doesn't. And those that crave structure, those that crave structure, it has a lot to do with people's happiness, whether it's in an employment-based salon or a lease-based salon. You know what I mean? And structure, not everyone needs it, and not everyone craves it, but but many do. You know what I mean? And I, I think that that's a huge part that we sometimes overlook, is understanding in that self-awareness if structure is something that we require to thrive um, yes. or not. You know what I mean? We talk about culture and leadership all the time. And the truth is, if there is no structure, there is no leadership. And if there's no leadership, there is no structure. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. And I mean, come on, the military really, I mean, is all about leadership and is all about I mean, it's all about structure. It's about leadership you know? and leverage. Let's be clear. It's about yeah. politics, too. So. Well, I don't want to. You know what? I'm so not prepared to talk about any of that on this podcast. Yes, you're right. Um, I just can't even go there right now. Things are just, you know, welcome. This is America, right? It is, right? What it ultimately comes down to is understanding what culture you're in and knowing where the rules are, why the rules exist. That way, you know how you fit into that culture or whether or not you even do. Everything is not for everybody. We all have different styles, different energies. Sometimes, you know, it's the, the difference in the culture is the energy that's there. Sure. Sometimes the difference in the culture is the kind of leadership style. You know, all those things come yeah. together to make a hold. And I think we have there's this tit for tat that's been going on in the beauty industry for such a long time, especially with the explosion of sweet salons and booth rental because when we started in many places, booth rental was illegal. Mm -hmm. You could not rent space in many, many states. Um, now everyone wants to be independent, but everyone cannot survive independently. Right. So to answer your question, what I learned um, was both how to welcome and learning to work with a team and to work independently, take initiative and responsibility for those decisions either way. Oh, I love that. I love that. And and it speaks to when you were talking about that clarity, clear boundaries, culture, um, 
having that, having that clarity, you know, we're reading Dare to Lead in A School right now, Brene yes. Brown's Dare to Lead. And, and I actually just wrote a newsletter talking about the statement in the very beginning of the book, talking about clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And, mm. and I just, it, that, that right there just speaks to so much of this stuff, you know, whether it's leadership or healthy boundaries or culture or what communication, whatever. It's like clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. It's so powerful. It is because it takes the question marks out of everything. Right. It removes like knowledge destroys fear. Clarity yes. removes doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, DJ, for that knowledge destroys. Fear. Yes. Yes. I, I, you know what? He when he gave that to me when I first met him and he said that when he first came on board with us, I have never forgotten it. I've never <laughs> forgotten it. We love DJ Muldoon. DJ Muldoon. We love you, DJ. Um, okay, awesome, awesome. Now, of course I have to ask you what passion and purpose mean to you, because you know, this is all about people, passion and purpose. To me, passion is fire. And we know that fire can be both deadly and energizing and purifying. Purpose is knowing when and how to use that fire. Hmm. I like that. I like fire. Me too, girl. <laughs> I love fire. But when, when, I think of, when I think about fire, fire can be a refining process for something like metals. It has to be burned. All the impurities are removed out of it. Heat can destroy bad things, but it can also spread very quickly and destroy good things. So I like to think of myself as a controlled burn. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. A controlled burn. Okay. Love that. I love that. And I don't know if this is like a good segue into the the, the next topic, but Let's talk mental health. You know that that's something that you and I both struggle with and are advocates yes. for. Um, and when we began talking about ha having you on the podcast, um, you had you had expressed a desire to talk about mental health. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. let's dig let's dig deep because um, you know one one of the interesting things about mental health, you know, with the a lot of the recent um, tragedies that have taken place in our country. Um, one of the questions that's often sensationalized in the news is whether or not someone has had military service. Um, mental health, mental illness is not synonymous with serving the country. It's just not. It is a microcosm, a reflection of the world we live in at large. People are people wherever you go. And there are a whole lot more undiagnosed people who are walking around miserable, um, anesthetizing their pain because they don't understand what's going on with them. Mental health is a health issue. It is not judgment. It is not a lack of courage or a lack of strength. Um, probably one of the strongest things anyone can do is reach out for help when they need it. And we don't always know when that is. So it's up to us to learn um, First of all, learn how to treat people with kindness and respect, number one, because sometimes you don't you're not able to recognize something in someone right, wrong or indifferent, good or bad, unless you actually take time to listen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to recognize in people that, first of all, hide it. It's hard to recognize if you have no context. Yes. You know, 
and it's 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 hard to to recognize when when you are in a culture of um a mean mean person culture yeah you know you don't even see you can't see it because you're so focused on being an asshole (laughs) and there's no cure for that i mean is that well i mean i think that that kind of go does go back to mental health though because i mean we both we both know that so much of the ugliness and hatred that happen externally in our world is really internal is internal hatred right we we understand that and untreated, untreated, untreated mental health. You know, being in the beauty industry for so long, you and I, um, why do you think this still is not a, a topic that's discussed or has been addressed? You know, I can honestly say in none of the cultures of which I am a community member is mental health appropriately addressed. Not in my faith culture, not in my work culture, not in um, my personal life. The people that, you know, I know and love whether or not I give them my time. Um, <laughs> but in in the black community, in, in women's community, we don't talk about what it means to not be well. Um, and it's a difficult conversation because it's something that our forefathers and foremothers didn't talk about. Right. They endured so much pain in so many different ways. And we didn't talk about we didn't talk about um, histories of abuse we didn't talk about sustained pressure over long amounts of time. We didn't talk about survival skills and what happens when you don't have them and you fall. We don't talk about failure. We don't talk about failure. We don't talk about what can happen to a person when they lose hope because everything is not mental illness. Sometimes these are human emotions that are necessary for growth. The difference between Having a mental health issue and having a human experience is one, they're both human experiences, but one is sustained over time and has specific characteristics and and mental illness has so many different variations. Mm -hmm. It's and sometimes it's not just one thing. It's more than one thing. Um, And when you're having a human experience that is just a part of your personal growth cycle that is just a part of your life, whether it's grief or loss or um, any of those things that we've all experienced at one time or another, um, you can come out of it. You can have support and come out of it. For me, I have lived with major depressive disorder. I was diagnosed, I think, when I was 20, 20 or 21 years old. And when I was finally diagnosed, things clicked. It made sense because these were patterns that I had experienced throughout my life. It didn't just show up because somebody hurt my feelings. Right. It didn't show up because I'm having a bad day. There were lots of bad days and I have a tendency to isolate. And then I also have a tendency to um, my my therapist, my favorite therapist of all time. She said, um, I was the best she ever met at being okay. Ah, I can relate. I was the, she said, you are the best I've ever met at being okay. How are you really? And sometimes the question, the, the, the language had to change because it wasn't, you know, we say, how are you to somebody, but we're really not interested in how they are. <laughs> so, Isn't that the truth? 
It's like it's a pleasantry. So my language changed with her guidance. How are you today? Mm. How do you feel today? I love the how do you feel today? Because that this, you know, was super fucking annoying when I was in rehab. But I'm so grateful for it now is is putting a language like you said, putting a language every day, actually twice a day for mm-hmm. 35 days. We had to go to the nurse's office and they held up a feelings chart, literally feelings. And we had to identify our feelings in that moment. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling happy. I'm feel. you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it was uh-huh. so, it was so literal. Was and it the smiley face chart with the different faces or was it a different one? It was, I think it had faces, but it also had words. You know what I mean? Okay. Like yes, they yes. were trying to teach us how to feel right. And, mm-hmm. and identify those feelings and also check in on us. Cause obviously I was in a mental health and addiction rehabilitation facility. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, like it really it it really stuck with me as, you know, as putting language to it and and how are you feeling and the uncomfortability that we we collectively we have when someone says I'm doing really shitty. Right. I feel really hopeless. It scares people. In fact, Gosh, I'm so glad you brought this up because I really want to identify something that can help people. And I feel like this is really possibly going to help people move towards that identifying of human experience versus mental health versus how are you feeling um, today in this moment. I was just at the doctor a few weeks ago and part of the questionnaire was a mental health questionnaire. I'm like, don't fucking give me a mental health questionnaire. <laughs> you be here you know what I mean? Like, you don't know me as a brand new doctor. You know what I mean? So it's like, okay, this could be totally taken out of context, but my answers, if you don't know me, would probably scare the fuck out of you mm-hmm, as mm-hmm. a physician who doesn't know me. And this was not a mental health physician. This was a, a medical, you know, a whatever, right. a body health, you know, physical health physician. Um, so, so they, we went through the whole, you know, exam or whatever. And then they pulled up, then they went to look at the mental health questionnaire and I'm like, Oh, and they look at it and they're like, hmm. and they're like, they looked up at me and they're like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, what's so funny is that when are you, you when fucking you're kidding in, me, no, <laughs> when, when you were in therapy and you learn how those, you unlearn all those bad habits and you learn how to tell the truth about yourself. And then you realize you have to roll it back a little bit because yeah. people can't take it. It freaked them the fuck out because it's scary. You know what I mean? Like it the thoughts that some of us have are frightening to certain people. And so anyways, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because really, really identifying that, framing that, having context for that, setting a language to that and then really understanding the the resources that are available to you. You know, there's so many apps now and websites that have therapy. Like I literally just was looking at one um, that it's just so impressive. I mean, not only are there obviously hotlines and stuff like that, but, you know, there's like so many different um, therapy there's mood path. There's talk space. Yes. There's there's one called Better Help. Uh, I the, mean, there's one and that I get an email from every morning. Um, oh, I don't remember the name of, but there's there's one that um, that taps into it. it. It's a kind. I like to call it an encouragement app. But you you log in and you 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 tell it, it asking specific questions about where you 
you are in that moment. I love that. And sometimes that can make the difference. That can make all the difference in the world is being able to acknowledge where you are in that moment because those of us and and I will be also um, very clear on this I talk a really good game but I have failed at this a lot oh I mean I am a high achieving high functioning person with mental illness I am brilliant and I have issues that need to be addressed medically and through therapy yeah. And I am very serious about that. I have spent time being hospitalized. And honey, if you ain't never been on the ward, you have not lived. But you get to meet all kinds. <laughs> I joke about it now. But the truth is, I met some of the most important people in my life and my recovery there. Yeah. Uh, because what, the one thing I took away from that is I learned I wasn't alone. No, no. And that's the thing is where this this, you know, remove the I think the hashtag is lift this, remove the stigma remove or the stigma. Re- remove the stigma. And it's like I, that. That's the whole point here. The more we talk about it, the more people are like, holy shit, like they have struggled. They have struggled. They have struggled. They have struggled. I'm not alone. I mean, that's recovery, right? That's a 12 step. I mean, that's classic 12 step stuff. That's, that's any community of feeling like, you know what? I'm not fucking alone in this. And there is someone out there that is trustworthy enough that as Brene Brown would say, I, that is in my square squad that I can just say, I, I I'm struggling. And I know that it's not, trust. I know it's not easy. I know that many of us don't ever get to that point that we can open up and share. But if whoever's listening to to this episode um, today, I, I just hope, I just hope that if it's you or if it's a loved one or someone in your community, um, that, that this is something that the more we talk about it, the less stigma it has. And there is no shame in being human. And there's no shame in taking care of your mental health as you take care of your physical health. And I'm so grateful, Karan, that you you have not only walked this journey, but you are you are there for people to talk to and, and you share your experience. And that helps so many people. It, it does. And you know what? You also in these spaces, it's important to understand that you have the right to your privacy. Everybody does not need to know your business. Well, but because you mentioned trust and trust is a huge thing. Trust, trust is a huge thing when it comes to addressing our medical needs and concerns. Yes. Trust is a big thing when we talk to our friends and family who may not understand or still see it as a sign of weakness. And I also wanted to, to backtrack just a little bit um, to let people know that, yes, I'm a veteran. I'm one of the few women in history that have served in more than one branch of the armed forces, but I'm also disabled. So my life had to change 360 all the way around because the things I used to be able to do, I can't do anymore. I have physical disability from injuries that I sustained in the military that prevent me from doing the same level of work I did before I went in or when I immediately got out. I have deteriorating conditions in addition to addressing my mental health needs and my mental wellness. And I think mental wellness, somebody said that to me, I was on another um, radio show talking about mental health and they reframed 
seeking of care as mental wellness instead of mental health issue or mental illness. Mm. You're seeking your wellness. You're seeking to be happy, healthy, and whole. And we all have that right. But we need to understand that everybody is not going to get it. Everybody is not going to understand. You have to know who does, know who's in, what do you call it, the square squad? Square squad, that Brene Brown. Yep. Know who's in your square who's in squad. Your square squad and it's, very, it's a very small square. And work your squad. And work your squad. Oh my gosh. Um, what's your favorite quote? I know you have many, but. Oh, yes. My favorite quote. Do you have a favorite you want to share? Yes. You ready? Yeah. Life is short. It is also wide. Oh, who said that? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. I love that. It's short and wide. Life is short, but it's also wide. I love that. And then there's, um. An, an old, you know, Broadway thing. There's more than one way to skin a cat, <laughs> which is, you know, which I can relate to the first quote. Life is short. It's also wide. We all we think linearly when it comes to addressing our lives. But we don't look to the left or the right or we're not looking top to the bottom. We're not looking to go underneath or through. We're looking to go straight forward. And it's not always that way. Mental health is not that way. It's mm-hmm. never the same. For everybody. And one of the things that I often say is, you know, my mental health is like my fingerprint. I would not be who I am without it. Absolutely. I would not. Because it can it's it's been argued that people who do um, some of the most brilliant mind not argue. It's a fact that many of the most brilliant minds in our history and the culture of this world suffer from severe anxiety and mental illness issues. Everything schizophrenia, the bipolar, but I understand. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, me too. You know, I've I've seen mania produce some miracles, honey. Yeah, and I have seen and I have seen some deep, deep depressive episodes produce the kind of brilliance that gave us people like Robin Williams, and that gave us people like Phyllis Hyman. Out of the, out of their pain came a whole hell of a lot of art, a fuck ton of art. Art that we still live from today and learn from not just their deaths, but we learn from their lives. We learn from their journeys. The issue is now with us one to one, heart to heart and breast to breast is that we're not we're not sharing our journeys. We're not talking to anybody and we're not being honest with ourselves about where we are today. Yeah. You're so awesome. I love you so much. Where can we find you on the socials? You can find me everywhere, darling. You can find me everywhere at Quranism. That's C-A-R-O-N-I-S-M. Quranism. And Quranism.com. Dot com. Quran. Yes, ma'am. So grateful for you. I love you, Nina Nina. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being brave and courageous. Thank you again for your service. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being who you are in my life. Because we go way back to the days of Paul Mitchell. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a blessing to be here. So thank you for hearing me and giving me this space to share. Oh, we love you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. To learn more about Passion Squared, you can visit us at passionsquared.net. You can find us on the gram and on Facebook at Passion Squared. And be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. We're so grateful. Thank you so much for joining us. Have an awesome day, guys. Love you.